Well, there's lots of noise round about us in the world. Uh, voices that demand our attention, ads that appeal to our desires, ideas that shape our worldview, arguments, requests, conflict, yelling, cheering. There's lots of noise around us. Over the next few weeks, noisy crowds in Rio will cheer Olympic athletes towards the finish line and the coveted gold medal. Who cheers us to the victory of heaven? Who should we tune our ears to so we keep going in tough times? Who should we listen to? There's a repeated refrain in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 in these letters to the seven churches, this repeated refrain... Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The voice that the churches need to hear, the voice that those who belong to Jesus need to hear, the voice we need to hear is Jesus' voice through His Spirit. Now, these first couple of chapters of Revelation are constructed in such a way that chapter 1 that we looked at two weeks ago enables us to see Jesus. It gives us a a vision of the true Jesus. In that vision we see that Jesus is the one who is the firstborn from the dead, the one who has gone through death before us and for us and out the other side into the resurrection new life. We see in that vision in chapter 1 that Jesus is the ruler and powerful judge who has come from God, described as the Alpha and the the Omega. From the beginning to the end, He is the one who is the foundation of all that is right. He is the first and the last. He is the living one. He is the one who holds the keys of death. He is the one who loves us. I said last week that seeing Jesus... The true Jesus is like climbing to the summit of Mount Everest. It takes our breath away in two ways. One, we get a breathtaking view of eternity that reorientates us to the surroundings round about us. It's that breathtaking view. But in the second way, because of the altitude, it's breathtaking because it does take our breath away. It focuses our attention in on the tasks and things in life that really and truly matter. As we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, as we see Jesus in that vision, as we have our breath taken away and reoriented, as we see Jesus, we then hear Jesus. As we see Jesus as He truly is, we will want to listen to Him. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 is what Jesus says. In its original context, it's addressed to seven first century churches in Roman Asia, in ancient Turkey. But it is deliberately written for all churches. What's written to Sardis is also meant to be read in Philadelphia and it's also meant to be read in New Life Presbyterian Church in 2016. Uh, We're going to look at three, the the final three letters this week uh, to Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. One of them is a middle-of-the-road kind of church in how it's going in relation to Jesus. One's going really positively, one's going really negatively. One is deserving of commendation, one 
is deserving of condemnation. How are you feeling this morning about where you are in relation to Jesus? Kind of middle of the road? Feeling like you're going pretty well at the moment? Or not so well? Feeling like you're worthy of commendation from Jesus or condemnation? Note this thing in these three letters, that each one of the letters, the middle of the road letter, the positive letter, the negative letter, each one of them ends with an invitation into Jesus' eternal promises. There's hard stuff to be said here, there's hard stuff to hear from Jesus. But at the heart, remember that Revelation is a warm pastoral letter to encourage and equip us for trusting and obeying Jesus in hard times. And so wherever you might be feeling this morning, middle of the road, positive, negative, deserving of condemnation or commendation, hear Jesus. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, let's have a look at this letter to Sardis in verses 1 to 6. Each letter follows a similar structure. It begins with a little snapshot of who is Jesus. It builds off uh, the vision in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, let's read chapter 3 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Who is Jesus? He is the one who has the fullness of God's Spirit and He holds all the churches. He is the one who has ultimate authority over the churches and ultimate care for all churches. He knows every church personally. He knows about all the challenges. Jesus knows about all the celebrations. Jesus knows every reason for joy and every grief that we go through. That's who Jesus is and what does he know? Continuing on in verse 1, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And so what does Jesus say? Wake up! Verse 2, wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. The church in Sardis has a reputation that reflects the reputation of the city of Sardis. The church is surrounded by noisy voices, voices that compromise and conflict with the voice of Jesus. And so the church in Sardis has become content with sleeping through a religious observance of Jesus, to look like they belong to Jesus, to have a religious observance of Jesus rather than a vibrant, lively relationship with Jesus. And so verse 3, Jesus says, Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come. Jesus says to them, come back to the truth of the gospel passed down, not as religious of observance, but as a vibrant, lively relationship with me. Just like some of them have done in verse 4. 
Jesus doesn't leave them in condemnation though, but holds out this promise and invitation that all who stick to the Gospel, all who are in relationship with Jesus will be cleansed and in the Book of Life, verse 5. He who overcomes will, like them in verse 4, be dressed in white, in purity, forgiven, I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. And we know that those who were Christians in Sardis in the first century, that if they came from a Jewish background and then started following Jesus, they would have their names blotted out from the synagogue register. By being on the synagogue register, they were excluded or they went under the radar of the Romans who were expecting them to worship their gods and emperor. And while ever their name was on the synagogue register, they would be exempt from that. But as they turned and followed Jesus, they were blotted out from the synagogue register. There was no protection for them from Rome. Imagine if we were blotted out of Australian citizenship because we were followers of Jesus. Imagine if because we were followers of Jesus, we had no access to Medicare, that we couldn't attend a public school or a university. If because of what we believed about Jesus, we couldn't hold an ABN, a trade licence or a professional qualification... That's the kind of thing that the Christians went through in Sardis. They were sleeping on the job in following Jesus. And Jesus gave them this invitation and promise to wake up and know eternal life with Him. And He will never blot out their name from the book of life, of eternity. Some voices round about us today lull us into sleepy religiosity. Religion is a relationship that's been replaced by routine. Our relationship with Jesus can be measured by the depth of relationship that we have with these people. Relationship, religion is a relationship that's been replaced by routine of just going through the motions of what it looks like to belong to Jesus. But a relationship with Jesus can be measured by the depth of relationship with His people that we engage with. Now I know that some of us here are shy, some of us here are introverted, don't find it easy to connect in with other people and and reach out in building relationships with them. I'm not speaking directly to you right now. I'm speaking to all of us together. It's the responsibility of those who aren't shy and those who are extroverted, who have been specially gifted by God to reach out to those others, to bring them into relationship. And so that as our relationship as a community reflects then our relationship with Jesus that we might not be lulled into a sleepy religiosity, but that we might wake up and continue on with a lively and vibrant relationship with Jesus. That's the first letter. 
to the church in Sardis. A church in Philadelphia, verses 7 to 13. Who, it begins with who Jesus is. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus holds the keys to the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who gives entrance into the kingdom of eternal life. That's who Jesus is and what does he know? Well, he knows that this church in Philadelphia is seemingly small and insignificant. They, like the other churches in Asia Minor, they're doing it tough. They're persecuted by the Jewish synagogue but the Philadelphians, they bravely rely on Jesus and make the most of every opportunity to make Jesus known. Verse 8, Jesus says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's what Jesus says, uh, knows, and so what does he say? Yes! Good on you, Philadelphia! Yes, you are mine! Verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Jesus, this church belongs to Jesus and He is going to keep them, He's going to spare them from judgment. A judgment that could have been in history, in the time of the Philadelphians and or talking about the end time judgment when He returns to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. What does Jesus say to them? He says, yes, you are mine. And his promise to them comes in two parts in verse 12. Firstly, that they will be a pillar in the temple, in the new temple of God. It's a contrast with those who belong to the Jewish synagogue, which he describes as a synagogue of Satan. They will be a pillar in God's new temple, the temple which is made up of those who belong to Jesus. That's the first part of the promise. The second part of the promise is that Jesus will write on them the name of His God, the name of the new city. They will write on them, he, uh, Jesus will write on them, Jesus' new name. You know, like at the start of the new year, new school year, and a kid gets a lunchbox, you write their name on it, if you're OCD, if you're not so OCD, you'll let the kid write their own name on it, scrawled on it. Either way, the lunchbox belongs, it is mine. Jesus will write on those who belong to Him, you are mine. Are the promises in each one of the letters uh, have full description in uh, Revelation chapters 20 to 22 and especially this one of being the new temple, of belonging uh, to God, of being Jesus' treasured possession. Do the voices round about us encourage us to be like the Philadelphians? 
Do voices round about us encourage us to make the most of open doors to making Jesus known? I spoke this morning earlier on about the open door for Christian education that we've got or for Super Club for doing something new. We've each got opportunity in personal conversations, open doors to reach out to our neighbours. Are the voices round about us encouraging us to make the most of those opportunities, those open doors? What would it be for like what would it be like for us if those doors were closing? Is that something we would despair over? We would grieve over? I know for some of us in personal relationships, particularly in families, where doors have been closed to making Jesus known. And that brings great grief and despair. A mate of mine had to bury his dad this week, who was not a believer and would not talk about it. Do the voices round about us encourage us to make the most of the open doors to making Jesus known like the Philadelphians did? And Jesus says, yes. Well, our final letter is the one to the Laodiceans, verses 14 to 22. And who is Jesus? Verse 14 tells us that Jesus is the boss of everything. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is the boss of everything, uh, knowing everything, is the source of all truth. And what does he know? Well, Laodicea was a rich and proud city. Uh, we know from history that in 60 AD there was a massive earthquake that wiped out Laodicea. But Laodicea was such a rich and a proud city that they rebuilt themselves quite quickly without the help of Rome. They were too proud to accept any help. help. Uh, in part of their rebuilding, uh, Laodicea was built in an area where they didn't have any water of their own. They created viaducts and piping that brought water from about 60 kilometres away uh, from some hot springs that was brought down into, uh, down into uh, Laodicea for their own use. Uh, Laodicea was a bit of a fashion centre. If you wanted to find a supermodel in the first century, you might find the supermodel in Laodicea. They, they made uh, impressive uh, clothes and wore impressive clothes. We also know that Laodicea had, uh, um, uh, was known for being eye specialists and they had a special uh, ointment that was developed there for healing eyes. They were rich, they were comfortable, they were advanced, they think they have it all as a city and as a church. And so what does Jesus know? Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. That's what Jesus knows. And so what does he say? 
verse 16. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. What Jesus says about them so contrasts what they think about themselves. The water that was piped in from down the road that came from a hot spring, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. wasn't hot enough to make a cup of coffee anymore. It wasn't cool enough to drink. And on the way down, it got so dirty that you couldn't possibly drink it. Jesus now says to the Laodiceans, you are like that water. <laughs> something I want to vomit up. He says, you think you are dressed in ornamented clothes? I see you as shamefully naked. You think you are rich? I see you as spiritually poor. You think you have medicines that give you superior sight so that people even come to your city so they can see better? Jesus says, you are blind. They are so healthy and wealthy that they thought they had no need for Jesus. But they couldn't be more wrong. But Jesus hasn't given up on them. He hasn't spat them out yet. He hasn't gagged and vomited. The letter ends with an invitation for them to have true wealth, true beauty true health from Jesus and he invites them to return to a relationship with him. Verse 19, those whom I love, he loves them. Because he loves them, he rebukes and disciplines. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. If they don't invite Jesus in, it's not that Jesus is just going to politely stand outside and go, okay. Remember the Jesus we saw in Revelation chapter 1? The, 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 the Jesus who, who judges with the authority of God, with fiery eyes and blazing feet? white hair of purity and judgment and authority and glory and honour. If they don't let Jesus in, Jesus will just smash the door down. He will grab them and he will vomit them into hell where their wealth and confidence will do nothing for them. But if they open, if they open the door, they will meet the true Jesus and be given life Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus gives them a pretty serious warning, but holds out the promise and invitation of eternal life. We can be so like Laodiceans with health and wealth. It's so easy 
to think and feel that we have no need for Jesus. We need to handle money so carefully. Jesus says lots about money and wealth. We need to be people who invest in what he offers. We need to listen to Jesus' uh, voice as our financial advisor. We need to max out our flybys in investing in Jesus' investments. We need to be gripped by the offers and deals that Jesus gives to us. We need to measure our wealth and security based on what Jesus offers, not on what leads us to self-reliance. What voices are we listening to? Noisy crowds in the next few weeks will fill stadiums to cheer athletes onto the goal of Olympic victory. Voices surround us all the time, cheering us onwards to their goal. Voices that demand our attention, our allegiance, voices that distract us, voices that call us to compromise in following Jesus, voices that affect us, that shape us, that influence us. As we come up to the uh, national census this week, you've probably heard the voices crying out with the No Religion campaign. You might be tempted this week to tick the no religion box. I'm not raising this to tell you what box to tick. But there are voices round about us that want to say there is no religion. Uh, One of my friend's family, when they get together for family gatherings, his father says that no one is allowed to talk about Jesus at family gatherings anymore. Do we have voices around us like that? I met a sports chaplain at the men's convention yesterday and he's about to head off to the next uh, sporting event in Queensland where uh, he gives a prayer at the start of that event to pray for safety. And he's been asked this year to only pray to God. To not mention Jesus. He's not allowed to pray to Jesus anymore. He's not allowed to mention Jesus in prayers. He's got to use a little g, God, in his prayer for safety. What kind of voices around us are demanding our attention and shaping and influencing us? The the, the 21st century is, in so many ways, just like the 1st century. Lots of noise around, but in the midst of it, the voice of the true Jesus rings out. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who see Jesus will hear Jesus, will listen to Him, will be shaped by Him, will be influenced by Him, encouraged by Him, equipped by His words to persevere into the goal of eternity. There was a young man who grew up in the churches of Roman Asia, where these seven letters were, he at least spent some time in the church in Smyrna. He was in his early 20s when these letters were delivered to the churches. He might have been there when the letter to the Smyrnans was read out. As a young man, he saw Jesus And he heard Jesus, he listened to him, he had his life reoriented around trusting Jesus and obeying Jesus and following Jesus and listening to Jesus' voice, being influenced and shaped by it. When he was 86, 
he was to be arrested for being a Christian, almost certain to face death. And his friends round about him, he was a leader in the church. His friends round about him said to run away, to, to, to flee to safety, to find somewhere safe. He said, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the Roman soldiers to come. He said, God's will will be done. His name was Polycarp. When he was arrested by the soldiers, he was taken to uh, the local governor, Quadratus, who interrogated Polycarp in front of a crowd, a crowd of Olympic Stadium proportions that were all, all cheering that he be beaten and killed. Right through the interrogation, as Quadratus lost his temper, Polycarp just remained calm. Quadratus said that he'd need to deny Jesus and stop following Jesus, otherwise he'd be thrown to wild beasts, he'd be burned at the stake, all kinds of threats. Polycarp calmly said, your fires of judgment last just for a little while, but the fires of judgment reserved for the ungodly cannot be quenched. And Polycarp concluded, come on, don't delay, do what you will. And with the crowds cheering and the soldiers uh, grabbing him, his friends saying, what are you doing? The soldiers went to nail him to a stake before they burned him. And Polycarp said, no need to nail me to the stake, I'm not going anywhere. Leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. And with all kind of voices cheering and taunting round about him, he prayed aloud, the fire was lit and he was burned. With all the voices round about him, he continued to listen to the voice of Jesus to the end, to know Jesus' promise in eternity. As we live with all kind of voices round about us, shaping us and calling us into all kinds of directions and compromise, may we be like Polycarp, who saw Jesus and heard him. May we be like those many other men and women who have gone before us who see Jesus and hear him, that we might know Jesus' promise into eternity.